Welcome to the Perfume Room. My scent of the day today is from a limited Jardin release collection from Bouli. And I am wearing Petat Douce de Caraïbe de Carotte d'Afghanistan, aka Caribbean Sweet Potato and Afghanistan Carrot. I mean that name. To me, this is code for something excellent and Oris coming my way. As I've spoken about many times, I love a starchy scent. Rudy carrot, potato, sweet potato, something nutty. To me, it is that perfect in-between gourmand category that gives breadiness and warmth and roundness and stickiness without veering into anything that goes too saccharine, too sickly sweet. Some fragrances, as various reference points in this category that I think have done it excellently, are Joram Studio Gorsland, Mask Milano Lost Alice, Serge Luton Jeu de Peau, Teo Cabanel, Je ne sais quoi. I could go on and on and on, but these are all scents that I find to be starchy and magical. Anyway, shout out to Jasmine, who was visiting Paris and keyed me into this limited edition vegetal collection, and I did not take one single moment to hesitate. I immediately ordered the scent, and I am so happy I did. Now, to me, this feels like some sort of like vegetal, almost fig, mixed with like a very rooty orris and then like a spicy vetiver. The texture feels more closely related to like kinetic sand, a sort of like grainy, chewy feeling versus like that sort of soft sweet potato feel. And then the carrot note has a great spice to it. And then there's also something very soily in here that I think comes from the vetiver. It's like rooty, but spicy. And that vetiver note is what I think gives that sort of like straight out of the soil feel. Like perhaps these carrots and these sweet potatoes made it to your local farmer's market, dirt intact. So this is my movie pitch of like where this fragrance lands for me in case you want to relate it to other perfumes. Imagine that sort of spicy soil vetiver feel of L'Artisson Masquemarant. Then mix that with a very subtle amount of figginess that feels sort of akin to the vegetal green bready figginess of Parisian musk. Then add that sort of like spicy but still vegetal carrot accord of diptyque fleur de peau or perhaps even a similarly spicy but vegetal mealiness of obvious une rose all rooted in, pun intended, thank you, I'll be here all night, a wonderful starchy earthy orris base. Think something like Byredo eyes closed. This is a perfect starchy spicy scent to add to my collection and the price point is not so bad. For 75 milliliters, it is $140, which I am more than willing to pay for this masterpiece. The wear is pretty linear in a way that I'm honestly happy about because truly what you get on blotter is what you get on skin and it's gonna smell like that hours later and I find that it lasts pretty decently. Also, this is part of, as I mentioned, their French Officine Garden Collection and the other scents in this collection include one centered on beets and rhubarb, cucumber and mint, gooseberry and tomato, and verbena and basil. Needless to say, I think I might be blind buying some others. We're about to get to our guest today, but before we do, I wanted to tell you that midway through this episode, I will be doing a review of the new Fleur Hair and Body Mist release that just came out, so stay tuned for that as well. Today we are joined by Brianna Lepovsky, who is the founder of the incredible luxury niche fragrance house Maison Ditto, and... She is also climbing her way to the Grand Prix level of dressage. Suffice to say, Brianna is a horse girl, and Maison Deteau is a line entirely inspired by different horses she has known, loved, and rode throughout her life. Karat, Macanudo, Noisette, the names of her fragrances are the names of said horses. 
Today, Brianna and I chat about everything from her wedding venue to the practice Brianna employs to ground and center herself to a life-changing shamanic healing session that occurred in an office building in Midtown, a fragrance in her collection with actual horse note molecules, translating relationships with animals into tangible smells, and so much more. Here is Brianna Lepofsky. Brianna, welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. I'm such a fan of Maison Detto. And um, yeah, I just, I can't wait to get into it. Before we do, I always start the podcast with the following question, which is, what are you currently wearing today? I'm wearing uh, Rose 31 Body Wash and um, the Santa Maria Novella Latte Body Milk. Like the, it's a lotion. Ooh. So I'm wearing that. Um, I unfortunately through COVID developed an inflammatory response, um, throughout my body where it's really hard for me to wear fragrance right now. So I'm working with a functional medicine specialist to kind of get back. So I just need to be very picky and choosy about when I apply, um, fragrance to my body because my body is just inflamed, um, post COVID long COVID, um, issues. So, yeah. That is a rough profession to be in right now as someone who can't wear fragrance. Wow, that's wild. <gasps> so know. how has it been like developing fragrances and like, are you basically just like skin testing them on other people? Like what's that, what's that been like for you? Yeah, no, it's been really challenging. And so prior to this, I was also pregnant. So all of my launches were put on hold because I was so nauseous. I could smell water boiling, um, from like three rooms away. So I had severe, severe reactions. Um, in my first trimester, my son is now a year and a half. So it's been two and a half years that I really haven't been able to develop much. Um, and so the brand has essentially been a little bit on hiatus hibernation mode. Um, I am working with a slew of doctors to be able to to get back. I pick and choose my times, my days. Um, I moved to South Florida during COVID, and I think that the allergens here and some of the other things that I'm that my body's facing here are just too much, and so I need to pick and choose days where I'm feeling well and um, you know go to New York for more development visits and just listen to my body, which was the whole point of building this brand too, was to, to listen and connect with ourselves and, um, you know, things around us. So that's a cruel irony. I know. That that's like, you were like <laughs> that you leaned into that and then your body was like, not today. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. So, yeah. So, but, but I do, I mean, regardless of me testing on my, my skin, I do not have good smelling skin. I do not have that magnificent, Um, supermodel skin. Um, So I evaluate performance on my skin, but I also like to evaluate, and that's why our launches take so long, because I want to ensure that my fragrance will smell phenomenal on everyone. Um, You know, there's Mm -hmm. certain chemistry, body chemistry that doesn't match with, with certain fragrances, but I want everyone on this planet to be able to wear confidently one of our fragrances. And so I never want to evaluate a fragrance based on what it smells like on my skin specifically. 
I evaluate mm-hmm. based on how I feel, what kind of moods I'm in, where it takes me, the, you know, mm-hmm. escapism, uh, does it provide confidence? To, like, what does it do to my psyche? Um, and then obviously looking for someone to uh, observe or, you know, smell or, or make a comment. Um, and I listened to your, your um, podcast with Chris Collins who I absolutely adore. He's incredible. Um, and it was really funny how he was saying, you know, I, I was using that as a litmus test for my development and, and seeing if someone would comment and then they didn't and then I'd beat myself up or I'd think it was bad. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing that we all go through in terms of our ability to stand behind our creations when there's so much out there. There's so many different directions that you can go into. But really for me, with my background being, you know, in branding, brand building, it, it is, it, it harkens back to brand DNA and what is it that is so uniquely Eto. Do you have a signature sort of scent profile that you gravitate towards or signature scent? I don't have a signature scent profile. I don't think I have preferences. For me, it's more what scent evokes to me in that moment. And so I, at the beginning of this process, I was like, I am not a floral girl, you know, and I would get in fights with IFF, my fragrance house, the development team, the marketing team, who's, you know, Amy Ruckel is one of my, my dear, dear friends. And Frederick Pinot, who uh, was just like, you need a white floral. I'm like, no, I need leather and poopy and wood. And lo and behold, I am a floral girl. Yeah. I just, I love florals. I love the indolic um, depth in the nature. You know, I don't like pretty florals. I don't like the um, more commercial florals, but I like, give me a caramel flower and I will die. You know, that whole fragrance experience really, and and diving in and dissecting each one of those molecules with the perfumers Mm -hmm. and, and them educating me through series and rounds and rounds and rounds of um, development tutorials and things with, with master perfumers getting into like, there's so much funkiness in that floral sea and those animalic notes, that animalic character, you know, the Maison de Toe fragrances, each one of them are inspired by horse. And mm-hmm. so we need to find, and each, the red thread is a bit of dirt, a bit of like poop, if you will, uh, horse poop, manure. I love a poop and a piss note. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that piss note, that indolic note, you know, once we really started dissecting all of the, the mechanical structures of the florals and, and dive deep into those super animalic notes, they're all, most of them are florals. So, right. um, and I just, it, it, made me fall in love even more um, with florals. And so I love it. Yeah. I feel like florals are like the misunderstood fragrance family because I think it is easy to dismiss them as sort of like petally and sweet and, you know, like light and easy. And like you said, like you start learning about like some of these like tuberous notes or like indolic jasmines and it's like, whoa, okay, yeah. that is something. Well, I'm curious too, because you are talking about different things that you've uncovered of like indolics and animalics and were you in the know in the fragrance world prior to founding Maison Detto? And like, what has that learning curve been like for you? <laughs> if there has been one. 
Yeah, no, there's, I mean, anyone who says that there's not a learning curve is lying. Um, <laughs> or, or they're doing, you know, I know one of your questions too is like, what is something controversial? <laughs> so I'm just going to go for yeah, it. Well, we can weave yeah. that into this answer. There you go. <laughs> or they're going for like a turnkey thing. They're like emailing in a brief and getting something back and not really passionate about fragrance. So, you know, in that case, if you're if you're really outsourcing third parties and you're just the name and the face, then that's that's another thing. It, then it's probably easier. Um, but no, I wanted to source and do everything from scratch. I am meticulous with my sourcing um, and every single touch point of the brand. Not only the juice, but the packaging, the um, you know the experience of how you receive the package, the communication from customer service, which up until now has always been me. <laughs> um, the, the communication on DMs on Instagram, like every touch point for me is, a, is an opportunity to create a customer for life who is passionate about the brand and passionate about learning more about fragrance. I try to just stick to the beat of my own drum and, and do all the things, but I did not know that I was getting into a manufacturing business. And, and, I mean, people probably are shaking their heads, but um, I, I had always been on the brand building that the pre-sell side and the manufacturing part of things is really where the biggest challenge is. And the, the distribution through third-party retail specifically is extremely challenging. You know, it's its own animal um, and cracking the code there takes time. And it it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's not what I thought it was going to be, but I'm also pushing myself and learning. And, and that's when I'm the happiest is when I'm challenged. What were some of the fragrances that were in your collection before you founded this brand? And were you a big fragrance collector? So when I started this, well, I mean, I've always been in love with scent and olfactive memories. I mean, my favorite scent is gasoline. <laughs> um, from like day one, I've just loved the, the notes of gasoline and, and, you know, people ask me about my earliest olfactive memory and it's my dad on a lawnmower mowing the grass, you know, so that like grassy, gasoline-y, um, greasy smell. I've always been very motivated by scent, by olfactive interventions, if you will. I wouldn't say that I was a collector. I also feel like this whole collecting thing has really taken off in the past five years since TikTok and um, social media has connected us um, to, you know, to seeing, and it's kind of now like a keeping up with the Joneses, which I don't know if I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I love it. It's great for my business. It's great for the fragrance category. And I love that people are so into fragrance and learning about it because it, it deserves its moment to shine. And so I, I appreciate that. But I have always been, um, you know, for example, I got married in 2009. I was searching for a location to have my wedding. And I picked the location based on the scent of the hotel lobby. Tell us about that. What was the location? It, so it's so random. Um, it's between the Plaza and the Ritz in New York, but it's neither the Plaza nor the Ritz. Um, it's the Helmsley Park Lane. Uh, 
And they had this, and it's not a hotel venue. I know it's like right across from the park, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know the building. It's become, I think it's become a bit cooler now because um, I think Scott Seriano and his crew like took over the design and maybe there's like a cool bar on the top or something, but I think it's one of the most underrated locations in, in all of New York. But before the renovation, they had this insane like 1940s art deco ballroom and I just fell in love with the ballroom and the scent, this gardenia candle that they had burning in the lobby and I would go and buy out every single one of the candles because they only I think they got like 10 in um at a time and I would go every quarter I knew when the shipments were coming and I'd go buy them all um and I cannot for the life of me remember what the 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 company went out of business it was it was like Daniel something not a brand that that like is around today or was ever popular. It just, I think they just happened upon this opportunity and, and they, they did that. Um, And then the, the production or the manufacturing, it kept dwindling down. So like, you know, two years later I'd get, go get three candles or, and then they'd have one and they're like, this is the last one I think. Um, But the same thing happened to me with uh, Le Labo's K26 at the Gramercy Park hotel, you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I would go, I would go out of my way. I would be like going downtown, but I'd make a stop. I was a young account executive making, you know, like $30,000 at the time at working at an ad agency. I saved up every single paycheck to buy that candle at the Gramercy Park Hotel. That was, it was probably a few years after Lilabo launch. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they knew how to price things for wholesale. So what they did was they just doubled the price of the candle. Oh, my God. So it was like $175 for this candle. And maybe I'm making this up, but I just remember it being double the price of what it was in the store. And I don't know, probably because they didn't price it into their their business plan or structure. But at that point, um, and it was an exclusive there. So I was like, oh, it's the only time I can have it. I kept it in a closet and I only burn it like at certain points and um, so yeah, that, I mean, I've always been very connected to scent and, um, very motivated by it. Um, but it was kind of this exploration, um, of me working with brand that really, you know, a bunch of things lined up in my life where I was able to, at the end of the day, at the end of a, you know, a 20 year or so career, I was able to confidently be able to sit at a table without really knowing the industry mm-hmm. and saying, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm smart. I'm confident. I'm capable. And I have a, a really good, what I think is a really good idea and a way to connect with people. And so, um, so yeah, you know, I started my career in advertising um, and then I went on to work for Pfizer, which was a little random um, and then I decided to leave Pfizer and study for my post back for medical school, where I studied chemistry and organic chemistry. I loved organic chemistry and decided I wasn't going to do that. I went into back. I couldn't find a job. It was like the recession of 2007, 2008. The only job I could find. And I wanted to work for a nonprofit so bad and they were not hiring. And the only job I could find was that Women's Wear Daily at Condé Nast. 
in in a role in fashion. From my experience at, at Condé Nast and where I learned that there are things called perfume houses because right. they were my clients. Right. So I was on the sales side um, for the WWD summits, global summits where you know, CEOs from all over the world would come once a year and have kind of a, a status of the industry and tastemakers and talks and, and things like that. And at one of these summits, IFF was my client. And, um, you know, I sold them a very large speaking sponsorship. And Judith Gross got up and to talk about fragrances and LMR, which was a somewhat recently newly acquired entity in their portfolio. And I just remember sitting in the back of the auditorium and getting goosebumps and saying, this is where I belong. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to do this. She just absolutely captivated me Mm. um, with telling the story of Monique Remy and her care for planet and people and the utmost of quality and craftsmanship in everything that she does. She does not waste, you know, a penny on anything. She does not go for the easy way out. She fights against, you know, the commoditization of things and the lack of regenerative farming and, you know, doing harm to the planet. And so she really became an icon for me. And Judith Gross, who who delivered the message, also became an icon for me. I hope you are loving this episode. I wanted to take a little break to give you my thoughts on the new Fleur body spray and hair mist that just came out. Now, if you saw my Instagram story the other day, I did a little cost analysis comparing these body sprays to three other major competitors being Sol Gennaro, Bath and Body Works, and Victoria's Secret. So the breakdown is as follows. Sol Gennaro, for $24, you get a three ounce. For Fleur, $20 gets you a same size three ounce bottle. At Victoria's Secret, $20 gets you 8.4 ounces. And at Bath and Body Works, $19 gets you eight ounces. So it is a better price point than Sol Gennaro, but given the cost of the other two brands, Sol Gennaro to me, based on this pricing, is definitely who the main competitor is. And so I know it's a little hypocritical for me to even do cost analysis because come on, you know me. You've heard me rave about like $400 fragrances on here. And from my own mouth, past like, I don't know, 200 something dollars, I don't know how to justify why something sells for $400 versus 250 versus 360. And I'm sure the brands would beg to differ. That said, maybe in a moment of self-reflection and analysis, because we love that, I think my inclination to do this is because body sprays are specifically marketed as affordable options. So price is something that's part of the positioning and appeal. Okay, so all that in mind. Even though, as we know, there are other legacy brands in the space with cheaper price points, I think $20 for fragrance is very accessible and cheaper than its main competitor even. So let's get into the sense, starting with Amber Haze. Amber Haze to me feels very much like Chirosa 68. It's like another take on a sort of Baccaratti, Saffroni, Ethyl Maltol. So you could look at it as a cheaper alternative to Sol Gennaro by $4, but I have to be honest, it's just derivative to me and kind of like I've smelled this before. In fact, if you are listening to this and you know Baccarat Rouge or Sol Gennaro or Cloud or Burberry Her, you kind of already know what this smells like already. You know what I mean? Moving on to Vanilla Skin. Now, to be honest, I dismissed this one on blotter because it just felt so like vanilla cupcake sweet to me. On skin, however, I get something that feels like kind of in between like commodity gold and commodity milk. You know how I've talked about with commodity milk, there's like a sort of sweet but oddly minty marshmallowy fluffiness akin to the smell of like sticking your nose in a container of white Tic Tacs? Well, 
in vanilla skin. You get that same feeling on your skin with this one. Of course, overdosed with some just straight up vanilla. Again, I don't think this is my scent profile. However, if you are a vanilla lover and you like them sweet, this is objectively pleasant, strong, long-lasting, interesting, and even slightly unexpected on skin. So for $20, solid investment, I would recommend this one to any vanilla lover. And third, Mango Mood. This one, when I smelled it the first time, it honestly made me feel like I was in one of those a million smoke shops that keeps popping up on every single New York City corner. It feels like a fruity vape flavor, like tropical but gourmand. And I will say that on skin, there is something very lovely and apple-y that comes out that I enjoy, but I wish it leaned a little bit more into that dewiness and went a little bit more like shampoo-y fresh than like that like heavy vape pen feel, if that makes sense. And I will say the perfumer of this one is the illustrious Jerome Pinette. And it is worth noting, he also created Wilhelm Mango Skin. And there are obvious parallels, even just in the fragrance pyramids themselves. So if you love that fragrance, I feel like this would be like a great enhancer or like something to keep in your bag to kind of keep it lasting throughout the day. I would differentiate them in that where mango skin feels a bit more like lotiony, even lactonic, this one feels a little bit more like it leans into the patchouli mossiness. And I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I'm not loving it. My big takeaway, on a whole, these definitely smell like unapologetic body sprays for me. I don't think that Fleur was attempting to create complex formula perfumes in body spray form, though I will say that's what I was really hoping for. I think that if that's what you're seeking, these sprays are not that. I do love that these have been formulated for hair as well. I think hair perfume is going to boom. We're already seeing it taking off. And I think people already put body spray in their hair anyway. So for this to be formulated with that usage in mind is so thoughtful and smart. If I weren't gifted these, I don't think I would buy them. But if I did get one, it would definitely be vanilla skin. Have you tried these? Let me know your thoughts. Let's get back to the episode. One of the things that started this conversation was you were talking about the Helmsley um, space where you got married and how the gardenia candle reminded you of a horse and your whole line or your first collection, at least, is all inspired by different horses and your relationships with those horses that inspired those smells. So, yeah, I mean, literally every retailer, when I first told them that I wanted to create fragrances that were inspired by horses, they thought I was insane. So I needed to figure out a way because, uh, you know, horses and brand building were like two of my most favorite things to do. And I wanted to figure out a way to make them elevated, not super on the nose, um, not super, you know, direct and straightforward, but more of a, a, you know, a metaphor. And so we really leaned into that metaphor angle. So for us, I've had all these horses in my life, which are, you know, for me growing up as a horse girl, I had more horses in my life than boyfriends. Um, and so they're kind of my, my muses, my, you know, have forever been in my life. And I've had these, you know, fantastic relationships and love affairs and, you know, whatever with these horses. And I wanted to kind of bring them to life and bring these fantastic experiences that I've had with certain horses and what they've meant to me and bring them to life. And I, I, I share them to people who I know, like, you know, if I'm at a store or talking to someone, I'll pick up, I'll pull up the picture and the the moment in time on my phone. And then you kind of see that like click Mm -hmm. in the eye where Mm -hmm. people are like, Oh my God, I get it. Um, but because the pictures aren't like glamorous, I don't 
promote them much um, or need to figure out a better way, you know, with the actual mm-hmm. real horse that inspired it. So, um, so I launched five ponies at the same time. Um, that was kind of like the initial collection launch. And I will be adding on one by one um, thereafter. So the first five that launched, and they're all kind of within the branding structure of Maison de Toe, um, I picked out pillars, five things that helped me be the best version of myself, seeing as the entire ethos of the brand is to create moments of connection to and reflection to better embody well-being. Um, and so for me, when I'm the most optimized and my kind of like depression is cleared and my anxiety is, is you know, at bay or I'm, I'm managing it well, um, you know, the things that are all firing for me are a connection to myself, um, a connection to others, connection to world, the world at large, um, and, and understanding this global ecosystem that we're in, um, a connection to nature and earth and, you know, like trees, um, and then a connection to my purpose and, and constantly searching for like, what is my purpose with this time that I have on this, this planet. And so those are also the five, um, fragrance olfactive development pillars Mm -hmm. by which I'm developing the line. And, and we don't talk about this in store. We don't talk about it in marketing because it's, it is confusing, Um, but you know, since this is more of a heady in depth interview, I, I felt like it was Mm -hmm. interesting to share that these are the backbones. They aren't just kind of coming out of anywhere. They're coming out of places of purpose and intention. So the first collection that we launched with is titled connection to self. And so they are five horses who have made pivotal impacts on my life personally. Um, so I've had personal relationships with them. I've engaged with them personally. I know them very deeply and intimately. Um, and I can tell olfactive stories. I can create olfactive stories um, about real, authentic, lived experiences. So I don't ever want anything to kind of be manufactured or, you know, based on, um, you know, something that hasn't passed through me. Um, and so the, the noisette which is the, the most recent addition, is part of Connection to Nature. So that was a horse that I kind of rode out in the wild, the, the, the countryside, the mountainside village of, in, in France. Um, and so that was, you know, less show horses, performance horses who I typically ride, and more of just like a trail ride going out and living on the earth with, you know, an organic animal. Do you, when you're riding these horses, do you, do you have a sort of synesthesia experience? Like I, I'm curious, like what about that experience felt like the way that Noisette, the fragrance ended up smelling? Yeah. So I have a vision in my head, which is, that's the hard part to communicate with perfumers. Um, You know, in the past, historically, they've been given briefs with mood boards or words or trends or, you know, things like that. There's, there's a very specific definition with some of these mass or designer fragrances. Um, and so to work with a perfumer when you are also not a physical artist, like I can't draw it. I can't, I can't articulate the experience in my head. It's just a lot of conversation and it's a lot of back and forth. And it's a lot of, 
um, using like shapes and textures and, and images um, and feelings or moments that come out of things that we dig into. So uh, for example, Ritano is uh, the first one in our collection of, of connection to others. It's by Carlos Benaim, who is a, a top perfumer in, in the world, a master perfumer. Um, and it's by far our worst seller, our worst performing fragrance, but it is the one that people, once they find it and once it connects with them, they, they don't wear anything else. So the Rotano user is typically a diehard. Um, and it has pretty consistently from the beginning, the launch in 2019, it's consistently been creative women who have really ha- found an affinity to Rotano, which I thought it was going to be much more of a quote unquote masculine scent because of the leather, the, um, the, the dust molecules, the cedar wood, the woods, the, the, the suedes, um, and all of that. Who is Rotano the horse? He is a German, um, bred dressage horse and, uh, like absolutely impeccable, um, to the point where, so, so if you can see this picture, I don't know if you can see the detail, but the lines in the arena, like the arena was freshly dragged. It was this insane, like most beautiful picturesque farm outside of Palm Beach that I went and rode him in. Um, and Carlos actually picked up the texture of the arena because I kept telling them how they freshly dragged the arena. It was my first time ever riding in a freshly like dragged arena. It's kind of like those um, Japanese mm-hmm. gardens where you go and rake. But so Carlos actually, I was raving to all the perfumers about it and how special it was that I was able to to ride on like freshly groomed arena. And um, Carlos brought that molecule into the fragrance. Um, and so there's like a dusty accord that's very linear um, that kind of goes throughout this Rotano scent. Mm. In addition to the signature of this fragrance, which is a stallion accord. Wow, beautiful. For everyone listening, I'm looking at pictures of Rotano right now, and he's just the most beautiful horse. And it's on this sort of like sandy, but very um, pristine sort of surface. And that's what um, that's what Brianna is describing right now. Yeah. The other thing that I love for this collection was that all of this collection, these experiences happened before, like even way before I was even thinking of starting a a fragrance brand. So they're very natural and, and raw and we dig into them kind of anthropologically to look at different things and pick up different notes that would embody that moment in time and um whether they're literal and direct or if they're more you know a sense of feeling um so with this Rotano horse the horse Rotano you know for me it was the first moment in my life through my riding career now this is not like super important but where I sat on a horse and I had been doing the hunter jumpers before. So like jumping over fences and I had always wanted to try riding dressage and everyone told me you're going to be bored. It's boring. Um, so I never did it. And, and I had 
the pleasure of sitting on this Grand Prix horse who it was like my world changed, you know, like my worldview, it, my, it was a tipping point for me. It was, I found inner power in myself and confidence and confidence in making this decision to, you know, to do the thing, like also confidence in my intuition. I always knew thought that I would like doing this sport. Um, but because of like peer pressure, (laughs) I didn't. Um, and you know, being there in that moment, being like, holy cow, I need to trust myself more. I need to be confident in, in what I think is right for me. And so that meant so many things. And, and we also, you know, Carlos and I, this first collection especially was a bit of therapy. I worked with a shaman as well as a therapist um, to really uncover these like hidden things about me or these these things that I didn't know were part of me that had never really been unearthed. And so I use this first collection really as a deep dive into, you know, my inner psyche and, and all of that through my relationship with horses and trying to solve why that is. Um, and so, mm. you know, the power and the energy that you feel with him, the, the like luxury, um, because I normally don't ride on farms this this stunning and beautiful. And so all of that is translated into this fragrance. Um, And, you know, when I met Carlos, he had created this accord, the stallion, the living stallion accord, where they actually took a horse, ran it around on a lunge line, which is like a form of exercise. And then they collected through headspace technology, they collected the molecules coming off the horse, analyzed them in the labs fascinating and then created this beautiful beautiful accord where when i smelled it i was like oh my god how is this not how has no one bought into this like what this is like divine intervention um and then the more and more i spent time with carlos and really dove into who he is um and what motivates him and and his passion for horses which was unusual that all of my perfumers, like everyone on this brand has some kind of deep connection to horses. His sister-in-law actually runs a rehab, a rehabilitation center for horses, one town away from where Karat lived in Bedford, New York. And so, um, which was another horse, another fragrance, another horse that, that he met, actually physically met. That's the Sheepra fragrance, right? Yes, yes. You mentioned working with a shaman to sort of get in the mindset to to create this line and uncover things about yourself to inspire the line. What were some of the things that you learned about yourself in the process that helped with the creation of these fragrances? And what was that experience like? You know, I started this in 2017. Uh, I had worked on it for, for a number of years before the launch. So a lot of it was stepping into my power as a creator, a creative, because I had always been more on the business side of things in the past. And so I wanted to be able to have someone there to help facilitate a deeper exploration of things um, and provide a framework. And it was actually only because it wasn't a conscious choice. So so at first, Maison de Toe was called Maiden, um, and it was it was going to be a media platform for luxury brands in the equestrian space. 
And so I had an office at the time where I plastered every like piece of swipe for all these magazines that I love, Gentlewoman, Unconditional, Surface, you know, all these like cool, artsy, cultured magazine. Um, And at the bottom, because I had always had this inkling of doing something with scent and olfactive, I had this little eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that said Maiden is a fragrance and a blue highlighter on the bottom left corner of this wall. And I had posted something on LinkedIn about launching Maiden and, and that it was going to be something, but I didn't really know. And I posted the mood board and the brand because for me as a branding person, it's always about like the brand and then you figure out what the business is, um, which may not be the right thing, but that's how my brain thinks. And someone who I had worked with in the past named Ava Grager had reached out to ask what this was. And we just reconnected. She came into my office and she, she, we were just having, you know, a catch up colleague catch up. And um, we ended up chatting about some other work that she does as a business shaman and um, you know, some shamanic work. She doesn't use any interventions or, you know, drugs or anything. She uses breast work and spiritual, um, you know, opening and, and things like that. And we get through this thing. She says, well, do you want a session? Do you want to see what it's like? And so we, we get, we, she does this like thing. I'm laying on the floor in the middle of a corporate office on 47th and third, like with bankers, investment bankers running by. Cause I was using it an office in my, my husband's old office. Um, and she's like rattling the things and there's like, oh my God. you know, like whatever people are like, what is happening in there? A perfect but, um, town occurrence. Yes. <laughs> so we finished with that and then we're having a conversation and, and she's like, so tell me about this. What's that that like piece of paper on the bottom, it says maiden is a fragrance. Tell me more about that. And I started talking and I was telling her all about like how it could possibly interrelate, but I couldn't figure out, like I knew I wanted to do something with horses and fashion and luxury, but I didn't know how to like make that connection. She goes, you just lit up. Like you just became another person talking about scent and Le Labo and Byredo and, you know, like Frederick, like all these brands that at that point, like that was my exposure were kind of like what are now these bigger brands. And she's like, you just like, this is what you need to do. You need to explore that. And I'm happy to help you explore it. And so she was kind of a validating factor for me to say, okay, it's okay. You don't know fragrance, but you are smart. You are extremely hardworking. You're extremely passionate and you have something to share with the world. And so she did so much work with me to find that place or, you know, even helping me get out of being stuck or being afraid of you know, making a decision that may be the antithesis of what the overall fragrance industry is is doing or saying, um, or, you know, retail buyers saying like, oh my God, I, I don't understand like this horse thing. Like, no, we're not having like fragrances that smell like horses. And, and like part of it was, was getting rid of my stuckness. And a lot of that was her guidance on helping me connect to the earth. 
And so if I would find myself stuck, I would physically go and dig up dirt and bear, like put my feet and my hands in the earth and cover it with dirt. That was something that you learned from her or you had been doing that practice prior? I had, I always walk around barefoot. I try to be as barefoot as, as frequently as possible, which I think freaks people out. I went into a training at Moda Operandi the other month and my shoes were just so uncomfortable. So I took them off and I'm like walking around Moda with no shoes on and people are like, what is she doing? But it's a way that I feel more grounded and connected to things. And I can, I feel like I can be more authentically me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always walk around barefoot and I always had the urge to connect to the earth, but I never knew how to. And so she kind of helped me learn how to do that. I just feel like there's such magic in plants and the earth and, and all of that. So anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer the question? Yeah. I mean, I was really just talking about sort of like what, what did you uncover about yourself that helped with the brand? But I also just on an aside, I realized I forgot to ask for inquiring listeners and myself, what is dressage exactly? Like, I think I have a sense of it, but I'm not entirely sure. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good question. So it's kind of like ballet on horseback. So you and the horse are one. It's the deepest connection I've ever had with a horse. Um, because I mean, they can feel your the good ones can feel your right butt cheek flexing and know that that means to do something different. Um, and so it's this practice where you need complete control of your entire body, which is so hard. And then you need to be in such harmony with the horse that you can get the most out of it. And then you're cueing the horse to do different movements at different points in, a, in an arena um, that are all very geomet- geometrical. Um, and you're asking for certain behaviors of that horse at certain points times so like a trot versus a gallop or something like like you can control how it moves sort of thing yes and there there are all these micro movements within it so it's you know it's a walk it's an extended walk it's a it's a you know um walk on a long rein a trot an extended trot a collected trot passage piaf which are all trot gates and then there's a you know a canter a collected canter and a gallop um, that all take place in the test. And so the dressage component, however, is oftentimes the freestyle is put to music. And so that's where, you know, in the Olympics, you'll see people, the general population typically will, will watch the freestyles because they're done to music. And I think that there was a meme going around, like a Snoop Dogg song with, um, one of Stefan Peter's horses from the last Olympics. That was really funny. And I feel like dressage had its like mainstream moment with that, with that meme. I I'll find it and send it to you. Yeah. I'll post it with the episode. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And we're, we're actually working on a fragrance with a U.S. Olympian. Um, she's not involved in the day to day, but like her relationship, me observing her relationship with this horse that 
Um, you know, she won numerous medals. You're talking about you're working on something with an Olympian. And that leads me to sadly my final question, because time has just flown by. But what is something that we can look forward to or that's really exciting you or that you're working on right now for the future? So we are working on a few new launches. I've been sitting on these launches for a long time. Um, Unfortunately, the perfumers behind them are probably extremely annoyed at me. Um, But people will be very excited to know one of the perfumers is Pascal Garon, who is the perfumer behind Noisette, which is is quickly, even though it, it ha, had launched later than the rest, it has become one of our top sellers. And I think it's because Pascal has such a way of connecting with me and reading in between the lines. Um, he's, he's really good at like taking musical references or image references or feeling references and, and turning them into accords that then we can we can work. He's extremely intuitive. And so it's super fun working with him because it's, it's, it's so nice when someone kind of starts to read your brain. Um, and I listened to an interview with Ben Gorham about his relationship with Jerome Epinay and, and, you know, they have that relationship and, and I feel like Pascal and I really have that. Um, so there's one that, that he has worked on. Um, and then we've got a new perfumer that is, behind the one that's kind of tied to these memories that I have of this Olympic course. Um, And that's Julian Raskinet, who just left IFF. And he is one of my favorite, favorite younger perfumers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I love all of everything that he's done for, for Frederick Mall and, you know, so many brands. And so I think he is very interesting one to watch. And I do feel like his fragrances capture that like horse aesthetic, even if it's not in like thinking about that right now, as I think back to some of his fragrances I've smelled from other brands, there is like an underlying like horsey theme in them, even if it's not part of the fragrance. Yeah, because he goes for those, those notes, you know, the fecal, the the urine, the, you know, he's, he, he, dusty, dusty, he's going, you know, he, he worked for the Creed family. And so he had a lot of his tenure was spent in Dubai and, and um, you know, developing with that intention and the, the palettes used in that region are very different than what we're used to. And so it was really nice right. to have someone where it's just second nature, like that is their vocabulary to, to work with on this because he's not afraid to add more, you know, the, the, the development of this new fragrance was like, more, more poop, more, you know, and, and we turned to civet, um, for that and, and added more of that. There were versions that were like way too extreme, but we it's, it's, I always like to smell everything and then know that what I'm picking is like, that's Mm -hmm. the right calibration. Do you feel like with the different briefs that you create and the different fragrances in your mind, you have a sense of like this fragrance would be perfect for Pascal to execute versus this would be perfect for Julianne to execute? Like, how do you do you see in your head which perfumer is going to do it? Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. Interesting. So what would you say is like Pascal's signature or something that you'd be like, this is a fragrance Pascal has to create for me versus an, a different perfumer? Um. Something that's not as literal, that's a bit more abstract 
anything that's a bit more abstract or that I even have a hard time articulating the why or the what, um, Mm -hmm. he's great. If I have a very tight brief um, and I know my ingredients, also you need to know which perfumers are willing to go through the fatigue of possibly doing four. I mean, I feel like we had 495 rounds of Rotano. Oh, sorry, not Rotano. Rotano, we didn't, we didn't, that is unbastardized by a client. Um, that is pure Carlos Benayim, even though it's our worst seller that will forever remain on the shelves in honor of Carlos. That is his life's work. Yeah. And, you know, like it was never changed. We worked on, on diffusion and, um, you know, duration, but that's it. I did not touch it. Um, so Karat, I think we went through like 495 rounds um, of iteration. That's crazy. 495. It, it was insane. You know, Celine is always going to be able to bring that like sexiness, the glamour, the sophistication. And then Celine Barrel, um, who is a perfumer behind Canon and Durban Jane. So Canon is the sexy tuberose neroli oud wood. And uh, Durban Jane is the like warm cashmerean, um, comforting. He's my heart and soul horse. Uh, kind of, it's my love note to him that he forever has a home and love and um, comfort. And um, and then Mackenzie Riley is like she's also amazing. She's so talented. She's so talented, and I just freaking love her. Like. She does not follow the rules. She wants to, she doesn't want to break the rules on purpose, but she's like, there's a better way. Like there's a different way. There's, and I think because she's an American perfumer, she has like a bit of a directness in her work that I love. And I always want someone to know, yes, this is an Eto perfume because it's earthy and it's dirty, a, a little bit dirty and funky, but it also is Mackenzie, Mackenzie's signature. You know, like she has mm, her own style. Yeah. I don't want to take the styles away from the perfumers because they're a part. They're a part of the magic that that happens. Right. Um, and so each one has its own unique style, and and also they have their you know materials that they're really good at. You know, I'm tr- still trying to knock down the door to get in to work with um, Rodrigo Flores on a jasmine because he's he's like a white floral jasmine like guru. Tuberose, jasmine, all of the white florals are just so good from him. Yeah, I mean, it's also really interesting just hearing, as you're talking about the perfumer, you're also talking a lot about the fragrances. And I think it really exemplifies just like that these fragrances are, except maybe for Rotano, like less of the literal translations and more of like the feelings you feel from these horses. Like, I love how you're talking about the feeling of comfort reflecting Durban Jane versus like, this is what Durban Jane's hooves smell like. Like it's, yeah. it's really about an emotional relationship and and sort of um, projecting that into scent. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I could go on and on and on, but we have one final segment of the show. It is a rapid fire scent association game. It is called What's That Smell? I will throw out concepts, whatever. You tell me the first smell that comes to mind. No answer is incorrect. Are you ready to play What's That Smell? Yes, let's go. Mmm, what's that smell? Okay. Brianna, what is the smell of Miami? Ooh. Um, ooh. I would say it's a bit oceanic. Um, oh, God. You know what? 
No, because the smell of Miami is literal. I always try to look at things through like how I feel about it. And I, I like Miami. I don't love it. Um, so that's why I had a hard time. But I would say Miami is one of the most beautifully scented places. I, I live on a street um, between the ocean and a golf course. And the fresh native flowers that are blooming right now are intoxicating, like absolutely mm-hmm. intoxicating. So I would say the scent of Miami is white florals. Beautiful. What is the smell of New York City? Mm, love, passion, tears, um, energy, stress, but beauty yeah, and togetherness. I read in an interview, too, that you are also very connected to Rockaway Beach. So I have to ask, what is the smell of Rockaway Beach? Rockaway Beach is family and surfing. Um, it's sex wax on a board. It's sand. It's sun. It is, um, you know, the, su- the sound of the subway. Um, it's like that freezing cold fresh water up your nose that like goes into your brain and like rocks your world. Um, you know, it's, it's ocean and family for me. I love Rockaway beach. What is the smell of love? The smell of love is a Rothko painting with like reds and pinks and oranges and yellows and some darkness. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. What is the smell of Maison Detto? The smell of Maison Detto. Um, I shouldn't say this, but it's like, it's the easiest way to convey to anyone um, working on the brand, like the literalness of my obsession with like horse poop. It's the smell of horse poop. Horse poop. I really hope everyone finds a little bit of a grainy, like a grainy, dirty freshness like hey earth earth yeah i'm with it i'm about it and the final question of the show what is the smell of brianna lepovsky the smell of me is well right now it's skin it's very much a skin scent um i think it's the scent of passion like i get so impassioned with things um and become so driven by them i am in aries so i am like fiery either i'm not at all here or i'm like 100 percent in um Mm -hmm. so i think it's fire fire i love it i don't know what that smells like but i i get it i know (laughs) what you're saying it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today this has been so much fun for everybody listening who needs to get their noses on maison detto if they haven't already immediately where and how can they do that? They can do that um, at Bergdorf Goodman in New York, at the Conservatory in New York City and Dallas and Houston, and some breaking news, which I don't think I've ever announced, but we will be launching with Neiman Marcus. Um, so that's going to be our last. Congrats. That's going to be our last um, large uh, department store um, major to to have Maison de Toe in the U.S. So we're looking at um, selective distribution, of course, um, and building really deep partnerships with our, our, our brands. Also, duh, MaisonDeTo.com. Amazing. Okay, well, everybody, I very much recommend 
trying a discovery set, seeing which fragrances resonate with you. It's a beautiful brand. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you. This podcast was edited by Joe Leonardo. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 